Good afternoon. Welcome to the latest edition of the Atmosphere is Electric. As always, you're joined by me, Rich, and on the other end of the line is my good friend, esteemed colleague and pal, Fran. How are you today, buddy? Yeah, doing really good. Thank you. How are you? Very good. And we, we speak after moaning about England not being able to take a wicket, having come, come fresh off of a fantastic Ashes victory. So, uh, albeit not what the podcast about, very exciting times for English cricket. It was an amazing win. I was very fortunate to be there as well on the on the fourth day, so I was there live watching it. And was you really kept that quiet? Yeah, I was. I was there on the on the managed to get tickets. Um, I was right next to the Barmy Army, so I was fully in the you know the atmosphere was electric. Camp, <laughs> um, it, honestly, it was the the atmosphere was genuinely electric. It was amazing to be there to see them win. The way that we did it as well, um, I, I felt sorry for the Australian players who were new, coming up to the Barmy Army. Steve Smith, for some bizarre reason, they put Steve Smith on the boundary. He took an absolute barrel from the from the Barmy Army. I felt sorry for him in the end. Well, I didn't, but, um, <laughs> but no, it was it, it, honestly it was amazing. And if if you've never been to a Test match, especially an Ashes Test match, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. I've got a question, and, and genuinely, this like I, I, first I didn't know you'd gone, so so that's brilliant. Uh, that, that's a complete coincidence. We, we spoke about it, but does anybody get the up with that trumpet to be so close to them? Because I think sometimes I look at the telly and he's there doing the, the song when there's nothing really going on, and I think the bloke in front must have the right trumpet being sat behind or in front of the trumpeteer. So the the Barmy Army are put in a section of the crowd, and you generally know where you're booking those tickets. So if you want to stay away from them, you can obviously book away. So they do let you know where you're booking. So, but generally. That, like the songs they sing, you can sing along to them. So if you are in that section, it is just to join a lot. Um, you know, the songs are there to join along with. They're very easy to join along. And it just creates a good atmosphere. And so even when there's not a lot going on, they do tend to get stuck into whether it's Australians, opposition players, or even like people in the crowd were getting it as well. Like there was people in fancy dress walking up with beers and they were telling them to neck their pints. And it was just, just <laughs> a really good atmosphere. And interestingly, the, the, the viewing figures that Sky have released are that they're the highest ever uh, you know, across the board in terms of on Sky Sports, both across the men's and women's Ashes. So uh, it's showing that this brand of cricket is is drawing people back because, you know, people talk about Test cricket being dead. But actually, Basball, as it's been affectionately titled, seems to be putting the punters back both in the stadiums but also on TV as well. Yeah, Test cricket is definitely not dead in England. And I think you can always rely on an Ashes series to to go through the nation, can't you, and get them interested. Um, I think what's happened in previous years, though, is where you have had sort of huge followings of India, they're becoming more 2020 orientated, aren't they? And one day cricket orientated, which is why I think test cricket numbers have dropped. But like I said, you can always rely on an Ashes series. Absolutely. And again, uh, next week is the next instalment. And if England could grab that too, all going into the, the final test would be would be great for cricket around the world, uh, but obviously not what we're here for. But having said that, talking about England, you know, we spoke about the under-21 squad uh, this time last week and they managed to, in the end, hold on and, and, and claim the victory. And what a great achievement is for that group of lads. Yeah, it's a great achievement for the group of lads, but also for the management team in there. There was a bit of ridicule when they got placed in charge, weren't they, last year? Um, but they've done a superb job and it's just exciting to see the young lads coming through, winning tournaments, which only bodes well for the future. Yeah, I, I obviously sort of watched. I, I was I was out myself on Saturday, so I managed to watch the second half. And I, you're just thinking, just as they've done enough, it's all it's all calm. It's done. So it's very sort of professionally seen it out. And the VAR decision goes against. I mean, for me again, just to be clear, not not with England tinted glass on. That was that was not a penalty for me. No, not a penalty for me either. I thought I thought that was very harsh. Uh, and whether 
whether the moment in the game got too much for the referee or whether he thought that because it was the last kick of the game, maybe he should give it. If, if there was a bit, for me, I just thought that was a complete overreaction. Barely touched the, the, the guy, and you know, in in no world is that a penalty. No, I agree. I didn't think it was a penalty. I think what he's done there, like you said, he saw an opportunity to liven the game up and add a add a bit more entertainment to it, and he took it. Which, when you're a team, a bunch of lads, regardless of how old they are, but especially when they're under 21, when they're there trying to win a tournament and they're putting their all into it, it's a horrible way to to possibly lose a final, isn't it? You're given a penalty given against you, which isn't. However, having said that, it did maybe feel like it made the win. Obviously, as he saved it and made two great saves, and then obviously then blasted over the bar. Did did it actually make it? an even better feeling for those England players because they had that moment right at the last and you could see that you've probably seen the footage of the, the kind of cameras that the, whoever it was one of the backroom staff had on the touchlines which then ran onto the pitch like it just looked like such an amazing moment that maybe actually it made it feel even better for them I think I think you're right it did make it feel better when you're having victory snatched away from you too all of a sudden then claw it back in the way they did would make that victory taste even sweeter wouldn't it what, um, what I did also find quite funny was Trafford predicted he was going to save a penalty didn't he yeah so I think again that's probably come into it and it's made it even sweeter predicting it and then making a double save the way he did there were two superb saves again it's probably made that victory taste sweeter now he he, he obviously is about to so we believe and, and definitely well very confident he's about to make a, a move to where he becomes a Premier League goalkeeper and he looks he looks the part but is there a danger that he's uh He's got a little bit of Dean Henderson's about him there. If he was chocolatey himself type of thing, is there a danger that he's, you know, he's a young kid, hasn't played any Premier League minutes? You know, don't get me wrong, didn't didn't concede a goal throughout the whole of the Euros, but we all know that defending starts from the front. So, you know, and a lot of those games were actually relatively comfortable for England, if we're being honest. You know, even the Germany game, which you would expect historically to be a tough game, was, was pretty run of the mill. It's not like he was having to make seven, eight, nine saves a game. Do you think that maybe he's getting a bit ahead of himself and actually just dial it? You know, there's no need to tell people that you thought you were going to save a penalty. Just be happy that you saved the penalty, if that makes sense. Yeah, what I do like about about him especially is he just seemed to have character about him. And I think that actually defines what a lot of top goalkeepers. Like You have to have a bit of character about you. So having a bit of character personality, I'm all on board for. Um, he's just got to stay grounded and understand that by winning the under-21s, it's not. It's not the be-all and end-all of your career, isn't it? He's got to kick on and he's got to look to try and be the best goalkeeper he can be and possibly, you know, he should be aiming to be the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, I do think you have to have that character about you, though, especially as a goalkeeper. So you have so many things that go against you. You know, your ball goes under your foot or your hand and it goes in and you've got to bounce back from that. Whereas if you're a defender, you can sort of be let off, can't you? A goalkeeper saves it, they put it wide. So I, I do like that he's got that character about him. Yeah, look, you know, we, we can go back to, I think it was 2009 maybe before then, last time they won the under-21s, you see how many of those players went on to have you know, glittering careers and how many of them did not. And, and it's relatively down the middle, actually. So, so you know, maybe that is your moment in the sunshine. Maybe you do have to make the most of it. But I just thought, you know, he's obviously very confident and, and I like that. Like you say, in a goalkeeper, you have to be a very specific type of person. It's a very specific type of role and quite often they're talked about as being, you know, having a screw loose or maybe not quite being the full picnic. But I just think sometimes, you know... It, yeah, I just think sometimes just have a little bit of awareness and just almost play it down a little bit, knowing that there's there's hopefully bigger things to come. I just maybe mm. maybe you've peaked a bit early, and you know it's difficult when you've been thrust into the limelight. You know, probably I don't know the viewing figures, but I'd imagine there was many millions of people watching it because there's not a lot of other football on, and, and obviously you know England in a final is is rare. But just have a little bit about you knowing that 
this is only just part of your journey, not the end of it. I think what you, the difference of what you'll find with some of these lads compared to the others, like we said on previous pods, is is they are not first team regulars. So actually, this may be the biggest stage of their career so far. Like they might have been playing a lot of reserve team football or academy football, whatever it's called now. Um, so actually, these could be the, the biggest games that they've played in. And that's why they might have gone a bit over the top. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, even if, I mean, Levi Colville, for example, has played Premier League football all season and it's still probably the biggest game he's played in because it's a Euros final. Uh, like I say, I, I, I'm sure that actually looking at this squad, there's going to be many of these that go on to have fantastic careers because actually the way the way football ID, talent ID is working in England is better. That there's, there's obviously more people using English players. You know, if I look at that squad, you know, Max Aaron's somehow is still in the under 20s. feels like he's been around for seven years. You know, Levi Colvert, you know, all, you know, Gibbs White, who we spoke about last week, Anthony Gordon's just gone for 40 million, 45 million, whatever it is. You know, there's some big names in the squad already. And I think that this England's team actually has the best chance of having more people go on to make a name for themselves than, than any of them that have gone before them. I would agree with that because you look at the some of the academies that they're coming out of. You know, there's a lot of Man City players in that, isn't there? There's, there's some very, very good players and clubs that they're associated to. Whereas before, it has been a bit of a mix. And I just think, especially when you look at Man City, the way they're producing youngsters at the minute, you know, a lot of them are being sold before they've even played a first-team game but it's because they're of that high quality. So I would expect to see some, some very good players and possibly a few superstars come out of this crop. Yeah, well, I hope so. Obviously, it's, it's great great for England. It's great experience for the guys. I mean, listening to the commentary team on Saturday night, they were talking about how this is, can only set them up for, you know, hopefully for future success representing the national team, understanding what tournament football does and how you have to behave and, you know, peak at the right time. And, you know, let's be honest, I don't, I don't think we'll ever probably see another England team that go through a whole tournament without conceding a single goal. So, you know, a great achievement by all involved and hopefully they'll go on to have amazing careers, you know, with titles and Premier League appearances sort of all over the place. Yeah, and it's, like you said, it's exactly what the, the England national team need, don't they? They need this conveyor belt of talent and winning tournaments is the best possible start. Absolutely. And, and you know, like you said at the start, congratulations to, to, to everybody, including the coaching staff. Obviously, uh, Lee Carsley obviously has been around the block and, and maybe not fashionable at the start, but, but has done a great job playing football with a team that it didn't matter. You know, Harvey Elliott, like I said last week, Harvey Elliott went, just disappeared for a, for a family personal appointment and it was no drama. There was no big fuss about it. He just went off and came back again and, and played in the final. It just seemed to, it didn't matter whether they had to play in different positions or different roles. Everybody just seemed to be part of the process and I thought they did a really, really great job of just keeping that, that squad together looking like a great team. Yeah, and do you know what I think could be interesting is England seem to have this sort of process embedded now, don't they? That they do look towards England and the 21 manager to possibly be the next England manager. Southgate obviously came down that route. So is Lee Carsley a shout? I think he has to be now, right? Winning winning any tournament like that. You know, again, England would have been one of the favourites, but they weren't the favourites. Even the final was, was closely fought. You know, Spain were a great team. So, you know, to come over the line, yeah, I think... Why not? I think. I think personally, I think it's a very different skill being an international manager to being a, a league manager. Speaking really candidly, I would never want Gareth Southgate to be the manager of, of my t- club, but I'm very happy with him being the England manager. Yeah, yeah, I, I I would agree entirely. I'm just having a quick look at the odds now, and funnily enough, Lee Carsley is the next favourite to be the England manager. Okay, well there you go. You heard it here first. And to be fair, after your performances on the on the on the, the, the predictions last season, you definitely uh, should be listening to Fran, not me, on that one, based on how much you made. So, uh, yeah, well done to all involved. Now, obviously, we're, we're we're still in the middle of this transfer window that feels like it's starting to slow down to a bit of a bit of a standstill, doesn't it? Really? 
Yeah, it's like dominoes, isn't it? As soon as one goes, I think the rest of them will go. Like we spoke before about, you know, Declan Rice. As soon as that money goes to, to West Ham, they'll be looking to reinvest, which will, they'll just have that domino effect. But yeah, it seems to have slowed down. There's not really any names being talked about at the minute, I think, because we're just waiting for these one or two transfers. And so it does give us a chance to sort of speak about some of those sagas that are, you know, ongoing and the one that, that everybody seems to have a real sort of opinion. I know we spoke about it before, so I don't want to do it to death, but... Uh, Nonetheless, uh, Harry Kane is reported, apparently reported back to training today. Uh, he's going to have a you know, chat with Ange Postacoglu, the new Spurs manager. Uh, but, but one thing that, that hit me since last week, because obviously we spoke about does he need to leave to, to kind of cement his legacy and go and win trophies. Uh, I feel like actually he's between the devil and the deep blue sea because actually I've now seen a whole group of people come out and say, well, you know, winning a trophy with, with Bayern Munich, so what? So now we're saying that he's got to win specific types of trophies before they get counted. Because if he went to Bayern Munich and won three league titles in three years, that that apparently isn't impressive and so therefore doesn't count. And so the guy can't win. Yeah, and do you know what? I think a lot of people will be in that boat. Is You do get the fans now with these wild opinions, don't they? But in general, it is about winning. You know, if you are there to win a trophy, it doesn't really matter what trophy. Obviously, you want a league title over something like a Carabao Cup or something, but... Trophies, trophies, aren't they? And, and trophies then, and winning breeds winning. So I do. I personally do think he should leave to win trophies. But to me, it doesn't matter what trophies he wins. Like the German league is still a, an outstanding league. It's got some good, good teams in it and amazing players. So for me, it's a great trophy. Yeah, I personally would be telling Harry Kane, ignore people saying that the German league is is not a trophy worth winning. I think that's just nonsense. Because the other point to that is that. I'll ask you the question. I, I don't want to give you art, but but where else can he go? That bearing in mind, if people are saying you have to leave Spurs to win trophies, where else can he go that guarantees trophies? There's one. There's one club which you mentioned last week, but that ship has sailed now because they bought Haaland. It's Man City. He should. If I think if he was going to go for the guarantee of trophies and the English Premier League, what happened last year was his opportunity. That's, that ship has sailed now. Um, he won't be going into Man City. They've got a strike. They've got two strikers. They They've got Alvarez as well, who's an unbelievable backup. Um, I can't see any other club where it's a guarantee of trophies. The, the only other one is PSG. It is. But, I mean, I, I do think that's a bit of a different kettle of fish. I think the um, you know, Ligue 1 is not the same standard as the Bundesliga for me. But, however, it's still a, it's still a league-winning trophy. You know, the French League is still a highly... Regarded league, not not as much as the, um, you know the German or the English leagues, but it's st- it's still a a club that you can go and win trophies at. Like you said, yeah, I think there is that guarantee there, isn't there? Because there's not really that much competition with the money they've got. But again, this this comes back to something we're going to touch on later is that we've all got, just got too many opinions. Right? We're, so thinking of the journey of of post, uh, sorry, Postecoglou, Pochettino. Sorry, that that's going to confuse me in the future, isn't it? Pochettino, who left Spurs as a failure. Went to PSG, has come back as a champion, you know, champion-winning uh, manager, and now is okay to go to Chelsea because he's won a league. Like it's, we're picking and choosing when it suits our narrative, aren't we? When it suits our club, and whether a manager or a player is any good, it depends on where they are. We're actually, as football fans, we just need to know that if, if Harry Kane is to leave Spurs, which I also agree he should, uh, go to Bayern Munich for three seasons, uh, go and win everything he possibly can, and come back to a Man U, Man City, wherever he goes and play in the Premier League for another three years after that and go and smash the Premier League record. He has done everything that you can possibly... He's completed football, hasn't he? 
and that's why I think he, he, he should leave is because adding trophies, like you said, basically completes his career. So one thing is if he was to retire, I'd, I'd just feel really bad for him because people would still hold that against him and say, yeah, you were top goal scorer, you didn't win anything. And that's where Alan Shearer, like we mentioned, you know, not probably not many people could mention that Alan Shearer won the title with Blackburn, unless you're of a certain age. But he'll always have that to say, well, I did win a title. And that's why I think he, he should leave. But like I said, but the picking and choosing of opinions, we do that in every every walk of life, don't we? Like it's sticking to football. You look at stats, you know, there'll be a, there'll be a point where somebody goes, oh, the person only scored 10 goals, but actually those 10 goals in comparative to the team they were playing where they finished in the league could, you know, could equate to 20 goals from Man City. And there could have been 10 goals that won the game 1-0 rather than 15 goals that when your team was already 3-0 up. So really, it's the back that the ratio isn't of, of what the return of the goals is that's important. But again, mm. some people have to do a role that, that enables other people to score goals. Mm-hmm. Even yeah, as a, and they said it's about picking and choosing um, those stats and opinions, isn't it, to suit your your narrative of your club? And that's also, I think, why scouts, some scouts are paid the big bucks, aren't they? They actually go into the de- details of that and they start picking players who may not have high statistics, but when you look into the detail behind it. They actually can pick up some gems through opinions and narrative. But again, is, isn't that as much about having a, an unbiased view? Because actually what we're talking about here is most people's view on football in general, let's, let's not narrow it, is based through rose-tinted glasses of the club they support. Oh, absolutely. So I, the club I support, they're, they're looking at a winger and all of the fans are going wild that this, player, this person's stats are but not particularly good goals and assists. But actually, when you look at videos of the person playing, looks a really, really good player. And that's something you just have to polish them a little bit, don't you? But I think, like you said, too many clubs are just going based on purely stats. And it, you know, there's no style of play, no attitude, no personality of the player. Like, it's not taken into account. And I think the clubs that are doing that well, i.e. your Brightons, they are the people who are taking those into account. And they're therefore getting really um, sort of little diamonds, aren't they, really? The, the eye test, the good old-fashioned eye test, has gone out the window, isn't it? But but because all we're trying to do is win clout and points on social media. In reality, we're not actually worried about having a nuanced debate about whether a player is good or bad. It's just about getting likes and shares and comments. And you know, you even see grown men talking about ratioing somebody. Like you know, it's it's becoming. But because it's business, because they're making money off of that, that's that's almost like you know, no different to the Daily Mail or any other newspaper for that matter, putting a half-baked transfer story on for clicks because that's how they get their ad, ad revenue. Yeah, and, and like we mentioned about transfer, I think that's completely where, like Brighton, uh, we keep mentioning Brighton, don't we? But it's because they've done such a good job is, said they use the eye test, they use the stats, that you probably do a lot of stuff about personality. I know that, that seems to have gone out the window, doesn't it? I know Jurgen Klopp's very big on that. You know, what's your personality? What's your... Um, you know what your, your traits about your life and stuff like they they do a lot of that. It's, yeah, absolutely, it's essential, right? Because ultimately, if you put one bad, you know, one bad egg, one bad apple in, into the box of you know the team, that team kind of uh, environment, which is obviously very pressured, very tight. You know, it can absolutely undo all of the good, and that's why so often you hear of those players that are starting to become a nuisance, going to train with the under twenty threes, the under twenty ones to keep them away from the first team squad because it can become a real problem. Yeah, and just just on that, and I'm not, I'm not saying this person's a bad egg, but a lot of people have called him it. Paul Pogba apparently is available for 10 yeah. million euros, 8 million quid. There's, there's a huge debate going on of whether that's cheap and stuff. I personally couldn't have him anywhere near a club in the Premier League. I think um, you know, his performances for Manchester United have been very poor considering the standard of play that people high, hold him to. 
Um, but also, we mentioned uh, he at Manchester United, he was training with the under-21s. They were calling him a bad egg. You know, he was the main reason cited behind Jose Mourinho leaving. So, like you said, even though you've got players like a Pogba at that level, if the personality and, you know, their attitude doesn't fit, not worth it for me. Do you know where I... Do you know... Again, they're spending money, right? So we'll come on to that. But for me, I think Arsenal. I think he'd be a great fit in there for 10 million. Um, at Arsenal in the midfield, yeah. From the skill set point of view, I you know, I think a lot of clubs will be looking at him and saying £8 million a bargain. You know, if, he, if he plays half the season at the level that he can do, you've got a bargain. But when you then tie into wages, his injury record, his attitude, like I think at Arsenal, you've got a lot of young players there. And you know, if he comes in and starts performing and you know, takes young players under his wing, great, it'd be a great signing. I just don't know whether he's that type of player. Like He seems to be quite divisive in the changing room. Yeah, I, I, again, going back to that all or nothing documentary, which I thought was phenomenal. Uh, well, I think they're all great, but the Arsenal one I thought was really great as an insight into the, the job that Mikel Arteta's done to turn around what was a disjointed sort of dressing room. I think obviously there's there's a French connection there, but Arsenal have always been synonymous with great French players. You know, for as long as I can remember, there's always been some of France's best players, and obviously Saliba is, is there right now. I just think you're looking at that midfield playing Champions League. If they're going to have a run at the title, to have another bit of quality, another difference maker, someone that could, if you can get him playing football, you know, really add something. Whether it be you know. <laughs> once a week rather than twice a week, they're going to need to rotate that squad like they never have done before. Well, not never before, but certainly not for the last couple of years. I, I think for 10 million quid, it's a bit of a free hit. I think that, that could be a really interesting option for Arsenal personally. Mm, the club who I think should be looking at him because we spoke about them needing like a marquee signing to almost kickstart their, their new life in the top six, seven was Newcastle. I think he'd be a really good signing for Newcastle. Um, gives them that sort of razzmatazz in midfield, doesn't they? It's a statement signing wouldn't it particularly affect FFP with the fee they'd be paying? Yes, the wages would be high, but they'd be able to spread that out over a number of years. I think it'd be a good signing for them and sort of the statement signing, which Man City had with Rubinho. Yeah, and it feels like Newcastle, for me, are one of those teams that that, that need to have that. Sort of, because ultimately, at the moment, you know, we was all expecting this big rush, weren't we, of, of sort of players signing for Newcastle. You know, obviously, Champions League football, you know, big brash new owners with, with pots of cash. I understand FFP is, is a problem, but it just feels like actually Newcastle haven't really moved the dial yet. Now, yes, Tonali is a good player. Uh, you know, there's obviously some stuff out there that, that sort of maybe alludes to the fact that maybe he didn't want to leave AC Man. He was pushed rather than jumped. Uh, but I'm sure once the season starts, he'll, he'll you know, he's a professional, he'll, he'll make it work. But just feels to me like they're not attracting the type or the amount of players that we all thought they would do. Yeah, and you know when they first came, it was Mbappe, wasn't it? And Messi, and like you said, they ended up with Dan Byrne. So huge drop off in in quality and, and standard of player. But obviously those players have worked. But I think that's where they are now. They need to get that statement marquee signing over line, don't they, to then start attracting that style and, and level of player. But but even just have a, a, another type of Dan Byrne player. Like, I just think that Newcastle haven't really sort of done enough in this window yet. That for me, they should be further ahead than they are. I think they should have signed and whoever those players, you know, James Ward-Prowse is available. Whoever it is, you know, I'd, even Wilfred Zaha is available on a free and apparently wants, you know, Champions League football. You know, what's what's happened to him? Why has nobody snapped him up? Because he's a he's a fantastic Premier League proven centre forward or winger that wins your free kicks, wins your penalties. You've got Callum Wilson in the squad that can put away those those penalties. Like, Newcastle, for me, should just be moving a little bit further forward because with Eddie Howe, what he's proven is that he can make 
average players suit the system and make average players qualify for the Champions League. Mm. Yeah, I, I do feel they do need to do some more business because they don't have the squad capable of playing uh, Premier League on the weekend and then midweek European games as well. And then you add into that, they should be looking to go deep into the Cups like they did last year. They got to a final, didn't they? Um, you, you need a bigger squad and you need more quality. And they've only so far, to top, you know, for my knowledge, they've only added Tonali so far, which is a great signing, but they do need more strength in depth in other areas. And I'll keep looking at the forward line. I think they do need more forward line players because they're also looking at offloading St Maximan, aren't they? Which then, to me, leaves them very light on the wings with just Almiron, who, if we're being honest, was great last year, but is he going to be able to replicate that form? I don't know whether it was just a bit of a purple patchy hit. Well, he was great for a window, wasn't he? He was great for a six mm. or seven. I mean, again, we're going to come on to fantasy later, but but you know, as a fantasy player, there was a 10-week period where you had to have him outside of that. He, he, you know, and again, I appreciate that's probably not how you should judge a player, but... You know, in terms of outputs, he wasn't creating goals or assists uh, throughout the whole season. He just had a very, very purple patch. And if you have to sell St. Maxim to bring in Harvey Barnes, that tells me that actually Newcastle aren't going to be able to move the dial very much in this transfer window because you should be able to have both, in my opinion. Yeah, they absolutely should have both. And whether or not it's, whether they don't rate St. Maxim, I personally would love him at my club. I think he's really entertaining, great footballer to watch. But if they don't rate him and they're going for somebody like Harvey Barnes and the, by the noises of the, the fee that's being quoted at £25 million they're, they're offering, Leicester aren't going to sell him for £25 million. So I, I just, yeah, like you said, it looks like they don't sort of have the funds to compete at the minute, do they? Which is odd considering who owns them. It's just FFP getting in the way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But but you need to be inventive. And again, this is the, we spoke about this last week. The trouble that Newcastle, in my opinion, have is that they don't have the the, the cheap. Uh, they don't have some of that deadwood that they can sell that's going to bring them in forty or fifty million. You know, you look at what Chelsea have done. You know, Chelsea have sold a you know Loftus Cheek, Pulisic, just to name but two this week for nearly forty million. You know, they seem to always be able to churn a player out into money. And Newcastle just don't have that yet, and and if yeah, again they don't seem to have the players coming through the youth team. Like so, so that whole infrastructure is going to take them a, a longer while, which is why potentially they're, they're going to need to be a one season in the Champions League, maybe one season out of the Champions League, rather than someone that's now broken into the Champions League permanently. Mm, that's why it does sound like Saint Maximum might be an added because I think he is one of their assets, isn't he? Somebody who is worth quite a lot. He's relatively young and. They can possibly get him out the door. The clubs will want him. Whereas you do look at, like you said, you know, we keep using Dan Byrne as an example, so there's no disrespect to him. But what are the clubs really, realistically, going to be coming in for Dan Byrne? Possibly a few mid-table clubs, but it's not going to generate the income that they need to to go again, is it really? And he's at his local club, isn't he? He's happy where he is. He's absolutely delighted to be playing for Newcastle. And you know, the, the worry for me for for someone like Newcastle is that Liverpool have gone out and signed two arguably world-class midfield players this summer for a combined title of, of 100 million. Aston Villa have added Tielemans and they're about to sign Pau Torres as well, which again, great player, you know, doing some good business. Those teams around them have got stronger and they will be able to rotate because with all due respect, Liverpool are not going to be taking the Europa League as seriously as Newcastle have to take the Champions League. They're just not. Uh, and they, they don't have to, but they'll still be able to qualify in, in reality is that, that actually, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of... And Chelsea, of course, who, as we've said, you know, I still believe arguably I could be one of Man City's biggest challengers next season, which feels crazy to say after last season. But with Pochin, and if they get it right, I, th- I think they really could be back up. So I think Newcastle are going to have to keep one eye on the Champions League, but also one eye on that future development piece. Yeah, definitely. And um, the other club... Um, 
we spoke about Manchester United as well. We don't know what happens with them as a takeover, but they don't seem to be progressing either, do they? So they could be in the same sort of boat as Newcastle, trying to keep an eye on the future, but also what's going on now. And so, so we're talking about, you know, this has been a long-winded rant about Newcastle, but, you know, I, I touched on Wilfred Zaha. That for me, there's, there's a couple of things in, in this window that are really confusing me. Uh, one of them is the amount of free, free transfers or free agents, however you want to call them, that, that, that haven't been done yet. And, and the one that comes right to the top of that list for me, and it, obviously it kind of really came to head over the weekend, is David De Gea. Now, you know, I think he's been Manchester United's player of the season 50% of the time he's been there. You know, he's, he's been a great... Started off shaky, obviously very, very underbuilt, very young. Turned into, you know, arguably one of the Premier League's best goalkeepers, arguably one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And now he's just been sort of cut loose and that's interesting in itself, but no one seems to be... Rushing to sign him either? No, I don't think anyone's been linked with him because I don't think David De Gea knew what was happening because he kept putting things on Twitter, didn't he? Like little emojis where, which was basically saying he has no idea what's going on. And I think he heard about it. I'm sure he heard about it on social media to say he's been released and all of a sudden, oh, okay. So I don't think he actually knew about it. And that's probably why you haven't heard any rumours about his future. I can't see why he's not going to go away to a different club. I think he's been an exceptional goalkeeper over the years. Yes, he's... He's getting on a bit, but not in goalkeeping terms. Do you think it's just because of his salary? Like he's just, the rumours where he's on like 350k a week, which obviously for a goalkeeper is absolutely bonkers. Uh, do you think that's 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 the problem? Do you think that's that's what's holding it back? It's possibly. I don't think. I don't think so because I'd imagine that you know he's been on that salary for a long while now, so he's probably not short of cash. Yes, he wants to keep that salary, but he might have to take a bit of a reduction in salary to get a move. I know he did want to go back to Atletico Madrid. That was in the the news, but he, you know they've already got a world class goalkeeper, haven't they? I think the problem he's got is is when you look around, especially in the Premier League, most of the other top sides have got top goalkeepers, so. He's going to be taking a run down in quality, really, isn't he? Like, I mean, if you look at Villa, like, is he going to get in ahead of Martinez? Pro- probably not. Um, like, especially for the salary they'd be paying him, is it worth just keeping Martinez? So, is is just the level of the the keepers that are out there at the minute in the top clubs? It's not really worth bringing him in because there's not really that shortage of of keepers at the minute. No, but that's where I think actually. Again, Spain on a much reduced salary because he goes home is obviously you know an option. And Atletico Madrid seem to be sort of you know if they could get a fee for Yano Black, maybe they would then use that sort of making a saving. So, so Atletico Madrid seem to be sort of taking a bit of a hit financially when they're trying to do some clever business in and around. But I think actually where he he might end up is ironically, there, there, is there a chance that they kind of do a swap? If Vanana looks like he's going to Manchester, I understand a completely different type of goalkeeper. But Italy feels like maybe the place where he'd have the best chance of of staying at that high level because, again, I, I don't want to cost, but they're, they're definitely not quite as free-flowing in their football in, in Italy. Therefore, his, ability, his lack of ability with his feet might not hold him back as much. Yeah, I think Italy or probably Germany because even when you like Bayern Munich have always had top quality keepers, haven't they? Neuer is at the end of his career. I'm still sure. I'm sure he's still injured at the minute. But he's, he's had a bit yeah, back, yeah, yeah. There is that. There is that sort of um, lack of depth in goalkeepers in Germany as well at the minute. So I can see him going to Italy or Germany. I think you, the club you mentioned there, Inter Milan, that seems the the natural fit, doesn't it? Really, if Anana is leaving, he he can be stepping in as a free transfer, which is exactly what Italian teams like, don't they? They're, they're not the most wealthy of clubs at the minute. I mean, actually thinking about it, well, you just he strikes me as, as having a Jose Mourinho signing written all over him. You know, going to Roma with Jose feels like an absolute. Uh, you know, although they do have obviously uh, 
former Wolves goalkeeper. I can't think of his name off the top of my head now, but uh, you know that feels like, like I said, I feel Italy's his place. But I just find it really like Wilfred Zaha. You know, we, we touched on him. Like, how was how was a team not had? You know, and whoever they were, whether they're Champions League, Europa League, you know, for me, he's been an absolute Premier League uh, quality forward for for what feels like fifteen years now, and yet doesn't seem like I don't even hear his name being banded around. I just mm. find it really strange that we're not moving some of these players on because. You know, normally we hide behind the fact there's a Euros or a World Cup and that's why players aren't moving. But this year, there's none of that to, to get in the way. The only thing that I can think of, Rich, is it's got to be the wage demands of some of these players. You know, where where Wenger's been saying in the past, you know, a lot of these players will be running their contracts down because they can get huge signing on bonuses, you know, big wages. We're now at that point where they're obviously doing that, but are they just requesting too much wages? And in Wilfred Zaha's case, is he 30, 31? Like, it's his last big contract. Is he just asking too much? That's the only thing that I could think of. Because when you do look at some of the talent out there on a free, how some of them are not being snapped up is beyond me. And say so, Yuri Tielemans obviously went to Aston Villa. He was offered 150 grand at Leicester, which is, is huge. But um, has ended up going to Aston Villa for what I think is 150, 160 grand. Which, again, for somebody of Tielemans' quality, he's not 150 grand footballer a week, is he? Like That's just outrageous wages. So I, I just think now we've got players in, in the situation where they can ask for these huge wages and clubs aren't willing to pay it. So even though you know they're, they're seeing this opportunity, they might be at a bit of a crossroads now because they're all going to have to lower their wage demands. Yeah, and, and the other part of this, and this is something that's been sort of chewing away at me for quite a while now, is is actually as a young player, uh, and again, I appreciate that Haaland isn't always uh, someone that you can compare because obviously the the hype around him has been so big for, from, from, from such a young age. Even my son, who's only now 14, had a Haaland top whilst he was at RB Salzburg and, and how he, and that was whatever that was four years ago. So, so you talk about how young he was and he knew about him. But what he's done really well is he's always had a sensible release fee inserted into his contract, so knows that he's in control of his future. Whereas some of these players, not only are they trying to, they're going to have to wind their contract down because some of these players, some of the Barcelona players, have got a one billion pound release clause in their contract, which is just bonkers, isn't it? It's a, it's a legal requirement in Spain, isn't it, to have a release clause? But when they're of that level, it's just pointless. But but you've you've basically said. If I want to leave and the club doesn't want to sell me, I can't leave until my contract ends. Mm. And it doesn't help either team because actually Barcelona are now in financial you know, ruin, essentially. They, they, they're really struggling to put a team together, even though they've just won the league. But part of it is because players are going to keep running their contracts down because you've got £1 billion for a player. Whereas actually, if somebody can, and I get that they can, off, they can accept a lower offer, but you're basically saying that, that we're in control. As a player, you have to remain in control of your future I believe like if you're you know, what Harlan's done is, and again I know people will argue it's not true but everything I've heard is that it's true he's got a release clause in his Real Madrid contract that's for 140 odd million pounds which means that when he wants to leave and Real Madrid are ready for him they can just come in they already know what they've got to pay they'll, they'll be able to plan for that in the future and he'll be then be able to move as soon now yes his dad does come along with with a with a big chunk on top of that as well, and we all know that what Man City paid for him in the in the transfer sense isn't what they actually paid because they gave his dad thirty odd million quid. So it's a bit of a fallacy, but at least you you've got control of your own destiny. Mm. Yeah, and I just think they say players are taking this opportunity now, aren't they? With the contracts running down, which you know, like I mentioned, Arsene Wenger said this was going to happen, and it is happening. You look at the list of transfers. I think players are now just becoming so accustomed to those ridiculous wages that are on offer that they're now pushing, trying to push it too much. Clubs aren't willing to accept it anymore. 
Yeah, and there's some breaking news. Uh, we keep talking about the Saudi league. It looks like uh, someone that we was going to talk about later, but but I would suggest don't have them as one of your your, your players because it looks like they've just made a twenty five and a half million pound bid for Mitrovic from Fulham. So it uh, looks like that, that the Saudi league is showing no signs of si- slowing down and, and keep trying to sign some of that talent that, that that actually you know could have a real negative impact on a team like Fulham if, if they were to lose Mitrovic. Mm. Did you see the ironic news that one of the clubs has been banned for not paying an, an outstanding fee? No. <laughs> so the club that Ronaldo plays for, they they have been banned from making transfers by FIFA because they owe Leicester 360k for Ahmed Musa. Oh blimey. 360k <laughs> and they're paying Angelo Kante 100 million pounds a year. You couldn't make it up, could you? It's just so <laughs> ironic. Like you couldn't make it up. Maybe they feel that the player was that bad; they're just not prepared to pay it. They're, they're possibly right, but, <laughs> but just just asking Golo Kante for twenty minutes worth of a game's wages, and you've got that money. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, again, we spoke about this a few times, but but are, are you changing your thought process on this, or is it actually? Do you think that actually this could be good for the game? It's going to create some new opportunities for players to come through. You know, more money back into clubs. So if Fulham do reinvest that money, it might mean that I don't know. Uh, they might go and sign a centre forward from Norwich or someone that said the money comes back into England eventually. So as long as it's the English clubs that are selling, is that actually not bad for the game in the in the long run? I, I don't think it's a bad thing for the game in general because, like you mentioned, their money should then be being passed down from teams and into the AFL. We know we had a moan about that last last um, pod, didn't we? About the the yeah. AFL and the pyramid not getting um, replay money. So I only think it is a good thing on the actual viewing front. I don't think I'll ever watch it. Unless, unless it's you know they basically sign all the talent in the world and it becomes the go-to league, which I think then you're forced to do. But I can't ever see it taking over the Premier League or you know the Bundesliga, La Liga, or anything like that. It doesn't have the history. I don't think it will ever have the pulling power. So for me, I think it's a good thing. But in general, I don't think I'll ever watch it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And whilst we're talking about transfers, there's one that that maybe sits within the championship, but it's a guy that we have spoken about before. But I think it's really fascinating, both in terms of the size of the fee and the club he's going to. And it's Gokares from from Coventry. Uh, looks like he's going to Sporting Lisbon for 25 million euros, about 21 million quid. I was convinced that he'd end up in the Premier League, I th- I th- and I didn't think it would take that much to get him. And, and I didn't know that Sporting Lisbon had that much money to drop on a centre forward. I'm gobsmacked that he's not gone because, I mean, you've just spoken about Mitrovic. To me, he is an absolute ideal replacement for Mitrovic. If they can get 25 million for Mitrovic, buy Gokares for, what, 15, 18 million pounds, not euros, that is a, a great great transfer. You get, you're getting in a younger model, somebody who's very similar style of play, has a proven track record of scoring goals. Um, I can't believe that none, none of the Premier League teams are in for him, especially lower league, lower end of the... Um, league teams, and I'm thinking that through promoted size, why none of them have even had a stab, may have done, but why they've not even had a stab at it, that would make complete sense to me. Yeah, I agree. I, maybe they just don't feel that that money and Lisbon have blown them out of the water, which strikes me as being a strange, you know, the Portuguese league doesn't really normally blow, it's the other way around, right? Portuguese players come to England, not the other way around. Mm. And so, yeah, just maybe I'm seeing something that they're not in the sense that maybe I think he's better than he is, but for me, every time I've watched him playing in the championship, I thought, that guy's cut out for the Premier League for me. Yeah, um, I mean, when you look at, we mentioned about clubs yo-yoing, didn't we? And having plans in place to bounce back the next year. There's, surely there's not a better plan in place than to sign the, the league that you're coming from, the, the best striker in the league that last season. If you do go down, you will therefore have the best striker in the league again. 
Yeah. Like, it would just seem a no-brainer to me if you're one of the three promoted clubs. Well, that, that's kind of what Burnley seem to be doing, right? They, they seem to be buying players from that league that they know that they watch have played against, hoping that company can, can train them up. And, you know, I mean, interestingly, it looks like Fulham have already rejected that bid and they're going to push back. But, you know, once they start, you know, what we see with, with the Saudi league is once they start... Uh, they tend to get their man more often than not, don't they? So they'll come back with a bigger, a bigger fish. And actually, you know, they're, they're like you said, they're, they're for me feels like a potential, uh, certainly not a downgrade too much in terms of bringing in Gokaris for, for Mitrovic whilst making a bit of a profit on the deal. Yeah, and, and you know, we spoke about championship strikers. I don't even think he's a championship striker. He's a proven championship striker who, to me, has got all the ability to be a Premier League striker. So, yeah, strange decision that nobody in the Premier League has had a, had a go at him. Yeah, so hopefully this week, uh, lots of clubs will will start moving on the transfer market because ultimately uh, there's lots of teams that need it both at the top and the bottom, uh, you know, both in terms of both the championship and, and the Premier League. There's, there's, there needs to be a real kind of shift because actually I think it's less than a month now until the season kicks off and, you know, lots of these teams are going around the world on these fancy pre-season tours to generate money and interest. So, you know, it'd be really good for you to have your players on the plane before they go away. Right, surely, surely that's, you know... In the past, we've always sort of commended teams for getting their transfer business done early. But this season, it seems like nobody's doing it early. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of clubs will be struggling. With, you know, without that domino effect, you, like, so you, you, ideally you do want them on your pre-season tours, getting used to, if you've got new managers, getting used to style of plays, all of those sorts of things. And we're not seeing them at the minute. So yeah, teams that have done business early, like your Liverpools, I think they do have a bit of an advantage. Especially as they didn't have such a big big gap to jump. It's not like Liverpool are having to do a Chelsea in the sense that, that where they finished at the end of last season, uh, you know, Liverpool were there or they actually finished the season really strongly, really well playing some lovely football. Salah looked like he's back on his best tonight. So with those two being added, the rumour is that they haven't finished their business yet as well either. But you, I can see goals coming all over from that Liverpool team. If they can just steady up the back again, you know, stop conceding silly goals like they started to do. Actually, that Liverpool team for me is one that could definitely be, be pushing back up there again next season. I, I think so. I think they'll have a really good season. I think it all does depend on what Van Dyke they get back, though. If they can get the Van Dyke of ninety percent of old back playing fit, you know, and dominating defenses, I can see them having a really good season. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Like I say, I, I, I've actually I've said it to you before. I, th- I think both Liverpool and Chelsea will both make a push for the Champions League, and I think they'll both they'll both make it. I do. I, I really can see both teams. Uh, being very, very different for different reasons. Obviously, Liverpool with a couple of different players, but but Chelsea with a complete different coach and team. I mean, blimey, I don't even know where they're going to finish. They still haven't finished with the ins, let alone the out. So uh, they're, they're really the only team keeping... They're, they're almost their own cottage industry, aren't they, Chelsea? In the sense that if you look at the last 50 transfers done across Europe, I reckon probably 20 of them were Chelsea in or Chelsea out. Yeah, I don't think anyone can have an opinion on Chelsea until in a few weeks' time because you just don't know what squad they're going to have, ins and outs. It's all, it's all going to be very interesting and obviously uh, no doubt exciting if you're a Chelsea fan and I'm certainly looking forward to seeing you know what can Nkunku do in, in the English league. Obviously, Chelsea haven't had great success in terms of buying the, the best talent from Germany, Werner and Havertz, who were both, you know, when they were bought, almost generational talents that both kind of, for want of a better word, flopped in the Premier League. You could argue Havertz scoring a win in the Champions League final probably means he's not a flop. But in terms of numbers and stats, uh, you know, didn't do what we thought he would do. So so whether Nkunku can come come over and do do something they haven't done, I think that's going to be a really interesting piece. And obviously Modric, so Modric, I hit his name right at one point, I'm turning to Paul Merson. Uh, you know, obviously 100 million quid, like he's got to become the player, isn't he as well? 
Madrid has got a lot of pressure on him, hasn't he? And it's going to be really interesting to see how he performs because if he he was he was a flop last year, wasn't he? We saw him the first game and thought he was going to be an absolute superstar, yep. and there couldn't have been any any more wrong, could we? But he's a very young young lad, isn't he? A lot of pressure on him, huge price tag. So hopefully he'll settle down and show what talent he's got because I think when he is on his game, you know, with the pace he's got, dribbling at pace, he just look a real real good player. Yeah, agreed. And all of this leads back to. Uh, or Kedling back to uh, fantasy football, Fran. Something that we're going to uh, keep banging on about. Not just talking about predicting results, but we're going to we're going to look at fantasy football uh, next season as as a as a regular feature. And this week, uh, because there's not a huge amount of movement expected in that centre forward piece. Obviously, having said that, we talked about maybe Kane leaving and Mitrovic, but but in reality, there's not big names being linked in. We're going to start with the centre forwards. And obviously, outside of Haaland, who coming in at 14 million. Firstly, is there is there a price that you, you can't pay for Haaland? Is 14 million too much for Haaland in fantasy for next season? It's a lot of money, isn't it? But I, you, you have to have him. I think if, you know, I, I was in a league with one of my friends and he didn't have him for the first three weeks and he was 50 points behind before the season had already started. Like, he'd already lost the league. So I think you have to have him at whatever price because everyone else will be. I think you've just got to follow suit. So he's he's already in over eighty five percent of teams. Yeah, I think he has to be. I think those fifteen. If he scores a hat trick first game of the season, which you know when bookies odds of hat tricks used to be like twenty five, thirty, fifty to one, he was going in off at seven or eight to one last year, which is just unheard of. Like if he scores a hat trick first game of the season, you're you're already twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. Could be fifty if you've double captained him, like fifty points behind. Yeah, it's interesting. Fourteen million is, is a steep is a steep number. So, so if you've gone fourteen million for Haaland, uh, which it sounds like you have uh, so far, uh, obviously you're probably going to have to make some savings elsewhere. So, so what we're really looking for is is maybe some of those uh, cheaper centre forwards. It might be your third option, or maybe you're going to double up with two cheaper options. Who who are you looking at at the slightly uh, cheaper table when you're talking about completing your front three? So I've got a few players listed down here who I think could have good seasons who are not too highly priced. So I'm going to start with the lower end of a 4.5 million. Now, this is a huge punt because I don't know if he'll be transferred out from the club and that's the hope. But you've got Florian Balogun from Arsenal. Mm. Now, if he gets transferred to a club on loan, and I'm thinking he'll probably go on loan to somebody in the lower half of the Premier League, he scored goals last year in the French league, and he's four point five million. And I think if you can get if you can get that in before he shifts and the price goes, you think you've got yourself a steal there. Yeah, again, a great great centre forward. He's definitely uh, he put a cryptic message on social media, didn't he? With a with a kind of a what are they called egg timer with a coming soon, or and so that that got people very interested. So that so it's going to be interesting to see where, like you say, if he's if he's in the Premier League. Uh, next season, absolutely at four point five million, that could be a, that could be a great signing. Good shout! Is there anybody else you've got your eye on, or anyone that you think might be a little bit left field for people to have a look at for their teams? So after the news of Mitrovic, I think Vinicius um, from Fulham at five million pounds is uh, is a shout to have. He's he's obviously the backup striker last year and played quite a lot of games after the ban, and he did quite a good job. Scored scored some good points. So I think he's somebody you could be looking at for five million pounds. Um, one that's interesting me is is the two Wolves forwards as well, Jimenez and Fabio Silva. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Sorry, because we, so we, just to be clear to anybody, we, we haven't spoke, so we, I don't know who, who Fran's going to mention. I've actually gone with the other forward from Wolves because uh, I think he's the one to keep an eye out. But go on, you, you go first. 
So who's the other forward? Because I've just looked at the Chiefs where you got Fabio Silva and Raul. So Fabio Silva's the young lad who's coming back on loan, isn't he? Yep. And looked looked a very good player when he was on loan. So he may get a shot at five. And you've got Raul Jimenez who's had serious injuries um, and looked like he was leaving, but now seems to be, look like he's staying. And from everything you're hearing, seems to be on, on fire um, back at Wolves. So I think you've got a, you could have an eye on those two as potential cheap strikers who obviously depends on who starts. And that's that's the conundrum, isn't it? Who, who they're going to pick. But as a cheaper option, one of those two could do a good job. So this this guy's actually, again, of course, there's a long way to go, but he's actually in my team. So, so this guy is six foot six, six foot seven, Austrian, uh, came over to Wolves last season with a, with a great kind of uh, pedigree from Germany again. Some of the big, alleged big six were looking and having a sniff, but he, he got injured in the first game and it's Klasnitsch. Klasnitsch. Uh, and I think uh, at five million, I think he'll be the starter for Wolves. I think that they'll actually build their play around him. And at that height, I can see him not only chipping in with some goals, but also chipping in with some assists as well, whether it be a flick on or from a corner where he's nodded the ball on. So for me, at five million pounds, and he's only in 0.2% of teams. Uh, so I'm, go- I'm I'm actually going all in on him. I, I believe that unless he gets injured, he will be in my team on the first week. And I'm convinced that he's going to be an absolute bargain. And for five million, I think he's one that you should all be looking at. I think things like that is if you can get somebody in from the word go and you can get two or three games out of them before everyone else catches up, it can win your leagues. Correct, 100%. Um, some other people who I'm looking at as well. So I've got Adebayo from Luton, £5 million, did a great job last year oh, with them. Yeah. The question is, can he just transfer that to the Premier League? But for £5 million, for, he'll be the first choice striker at Luton. Teams coming up always seem to start the season well, so I always I always look at teams are coming up and who their main centre forwards are because they generally do tend to have a you know they're still on and up aren't they yep. still on a high they normally get three or four or five good games out of them so I'd be looking at him um, and die from Sheffield as well I think he's a good player five so a bit more expensive five point five million um, tore the championship to pieces last year um, just a question of whether Sheffield are going to have the attacking potency moving into the Premier League isn't it but he's a very good striker. But then just another one, um, again, a bit more expensive and he's probably more of a punt, but I think Darwin Nunes is going to have a good season this year. Yeah, I see that. The amount of chances and that he missed last year, he wasn't like that at previous clubs. He has been a goal scorer. So I think the you know the price tag weighed heavy on him last year. I think he'll come good. And at 7.5 million, when you look at the players around him for more expensive price tags, I think that's quite a good price for Darwin Nunes. Yeah, I'm going to throw... Uh... And I can't believe this This player is only in 1.8% of teams, which I find crazy because he scored 100 points last season in a team that was struggling. And most of those points were scored at the back end of the season when they finally sort of got themselves together. And from Notts Forest, the one year uh, at 6.5 million, I think he's, you know, he was, I think at one point he was scoring, a, you know, goal a game. He was he was a, really the reason why Notts Forest stayed up. The fact that he's only 1.8% at 6.5, I find baffling. And, you know, he's definitely going to score more than 100 points next season if he stays fit. So there's another one from me that I think, you know, if you're looking to, if you've gone with a Salah and a Haaland or even a De Bruyne and a Haaland and you're looking to make some savings, I think for me there's there's some good value in that forward line, actually. Yeah, I do. There's there's one that stands out to me as, you know, it's 7 million. That's Lukaku. Now, he's it doesn't look like he's going to play, is he? But, Lukaku of two years ago would have been 12, 13 million, wouldn't he? Like, if if he stays and, you know, starts games, starts going goals, seven million pounds for Lukaku is a bargain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I think, 
I'd love for Lukaku to make the you know make, make the performance come back that you know he did when he was at Inter Milan sort of not last season the season before. I think a, a good Lukaku is an absolute handful, an absolute beast, and you just can't you can't manage him. And I think you know if I was Pochettino, I would be doing everything I could because I think your answer's in in the changing ground already, the, the training ground already. You don't need to go and sign another centre forward. He's right there. Just go and make it work. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a phenomenal player. At seven million quid, absolutely right. Yeah, spot on. So. Uh, Final question in on fantasy. Who, who currently are your three? So you've given us some good cheap options there. You've said Haaland is obviously a no-brainer with 85% ownership. Uh, good luck to the 15% that don't have him. So who have you got as your front three currently? Obviously, this will change before the season starts, but we will come back to it. So it will change when the season starts, but two of them won't. And it's I've gone Haaland and Kane. Oh. I, can't see, I can't see how you can't have both of them. They're both literally every season are guaranteeing you goals. Both of them are very rarely injured. Don't, get, don't really get injured for long periods of time. Um, I think you'd be better off skimping in the defensive line, midfit, getting a couple of cheap midfielders and having those two as your guaranteed um, goal scorers. Okay. Yeah, I think if Kane stays, which is a bit, you know, 50 50, I would say, and, you know, only having one game a week, the chance of getting injury is less. You know, a, a fully fit Kane playing once a week feels like an exciting option with Madison behind him, maybe creating some chances that, you know, if he can score 30 goals in that dross that Spurs were kicking out last season, who knows what he could do in a slightly more attacking team. Uh, okay, so you've gone big and big. Who's your. So you must have a cheap guy stood alongside him. You must have somebody that's at four and a half million playing alongside him. Yeah, I have. I've got Balogun from Arsenal just in the hope that if he gets transferred to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking somewhere lower, that possibly like an Everton. Palace, something like that, even if, if Mitrovic yep. is going, Fulham, something like that. Um, at 4.5 million, I think he'll, his value would rise to sort of 6 million if he gets transferred there. So I've gone for Balogun yeah. with the possibility of looking to transfer him out before the season starts. Yeah, well, I, I can't argue with your logic. I think obviously uh, I, I've stayed steered clear of the double hit just because I, I think that actually I'd, I'd quite like to have uh, a little bit more quality midfield and defence that we'll come on to in the coming weeks. So I, I have got Haaland. Uh, I think that you can't not. I've gone for Nkunku currently. Uh, I know he's actually not technically a centre-forward, but I just think that uh, playing in Poch's system, I think he could be. And again, for the numbers, and again, for this conversation, we can talk about stats. The goals and assists he created in Germany, second to none. Like, I've actually played German fantasy for the last five or six years, and you just had to have Nkunku. He's just a, he's just a beast. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he does in the Premier League. And I have gone with Kalajanic, as I just said. So so for me, I've gone with trying to spread it across the, th- you know, so one one elite, one bargain basement and one in the middle, which again, I, I might move that around as we get closer to the season. But that's that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, um, there's, there's different ways, isn't there? Like you say, you can have your two big hitters or, or you can actually go and be a bit more cheaper on the midfielders as well. Because so in previous years we've had goals, a lot of goal scoring midfielders, haven't we? And it seems yes. to have dried out a little bit. So that's why I think you've got to go with the two guaranteed goal scorers. Well, as always, uh, it's going to be very interesting. And as always, you'll finish beneath me in the league. We. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, couldn't, couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. Uh, maybe this year you won't, because you'll be getting this expert opinion every week. From I'm joking, of course. Uh, it's always it's always closer than that. Uh, as always, Fran. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Always enjoy. Uh, an hour speaking about football. It's always my favourite hour of the week. Uh, again, let's just remind people where they can reach out and find us. So we're on Twitter and Spotify. If you just search for The Atmosphere is Electric on Twitter, you can send us a DM. You can reply to any tweets. Um, so we're posting daily content on there or on Spotify. You can send us a voice note. 